Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? You know, Dave, there's one more lesson from Kilimanjaro that uh, that we didn't get to last week. So I wanted to, I thought it would be a good one to talk about today. And that's to trust the experts or trust people who've been there before. Okay. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing pithy this time. I know it's happened a few times before. But I'm like, I, I, I got nothing. Um, so sorry. That, ladies folks. and gentlemen, is what you call a pregnant pause. <laughs> and I gave birth to triplets. Oh, look, Gun- <laughs> Gunner has joined us. Gunner, buddy. Oh, boy. This is our fuzzy co-host. Yeah, this is Gunner. He likes to come in every now and then I latch the door and he, you know, you could hear him nozzling, but you, my wife opened the door for him and let him in. How you doing, bud? Because she's right. the expert. So, He's a, he's a great example of trusting the experts. You know, when we adopted him, um, and no, folks, this was not planned. Uh, when we adopted him, he had, he was older. He was already five plus, and he had a, a serious medical issue that the um, Humane Society uh, didn't know what was up. That we, I mean, we knew what the symptoms were, and I won't describe it because it's not a pleasant symptom. Um, but, uh, and our vet, after, you know, a problem where... Um, we had to take him to the vet. It was like, didn't have a lot of high hopes. We went to a internist and they now have medical stuff for dogs that, you know, just like us people, she put them on uh cyclosporin and that was six and a half, seven years ago. And he's been doing great ever since. Right. And again, we trust our veterinarians. We t- trust our doctors. Who was it you didn't trust? Uh, fortunately, it was a lesson that I had already already learned, but was was uh, was reinforced. Um, our, our guides, Justo and Andrew, were our two Tanzanian guides who took us up Kilimanjaro, and they, I knew, and we knew, and everybody told us, like, listen to your guides, just do what they say, just shut up and do what they say, and um, we pole pole is Swahili for slow. And we had heard that that was like the way you did it. You go slowly, you know, you're, you're altitude acclimating on the way up. You know, you, you are trying to not burn yourself out on the first three days so that on summit day, you've got the juice in your legs left to go. Um, and again, you get to the top and you get the exact same certificate as somebody who went fast if you went slow but anyway so we'd heard all of this before but i tell you on day one we're hiking and it was so slow i am you may be surprised to know that i'm a very fast walker i tend to you know cook along and we were just hiking so slowly and i kept reminding myself and they know what they're doing they're not trying to ruin your day this doesn't feel like what I normally do, but I've never climbed Kilimanjaro before. Just shut up and do what the experts say. And I sure am glad I did. So 
did you run into anybody and obviously at the pace you were walking it probably wouldn't have done any harm if you had but did you run into anybody that was uh hard charging it and did you get to see what that looked like so we didn't run into anybody but they were walked by us pretty quickly and it's so funny because we had all three of us had all you know kind of prepped together and said all right we're gonna go slow we're we know we got to do this you know we're gonna listen to our guys blah 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 the first day these two people who looked pretty fit they look, looked a lot younger than us came walking by us quite quickly <laughs> and two of us looked at each other almost indignantly and we're like they're going too fast <laughs> now they did make it to the top just fine. There was no ramifications. They probably were in a different place athletically or they had climbed mountains before or whatever. But this was another piece of the trust the expert thing. Because as they cruise by us and we like look at each other indignantly, as we continue walking, I think to myself, well, we could probably go a little faster. We're fit like them. We could, I could, I'd be okay. I could do this. And that thinking is what almost had me saying to Justo, like, hey, you know, we could go a little faster, can't we? Can't we, you know? But I was like, shut up, Ann, do what they say. Don't start questioning it. These guys have done this a lot of times with a lot of different people from a nine-year-old to a 76-year-old. Just let them, let them guide you. Let them do the thing. So did they mitigate the pace based on their perception of your ability or do they have like one speed? Um... I think the speed is always slow because I think the even the people that cruised by us relatively, quote unquote, quickly, were still going kind of slow. Um, but I do think that they modulated a little bit. I mean, that's why, as we talked about last week, we started the summit at 11 p.m. instead of midnight, where a lot of the other you know groups, you know, we're 350 year old women um, and we're relatively fit, but not like super, super fit. We didn't have a whole lot of mountain experience. So I think they did modulate slower for us. Um, but the pace still was slow for everyone. Hmm. Okay. So where have you seen this in your business career? Maybe where it, people failed to trust the experts? As an entrepreneur, I think one of the things I tried to do at the very beginning of my business is starting my business as a speaker was just do it by myself sit in my home office and try to make it all happen by myself. And I knew nothing. I knew nothing about starting a business. I knew nothing about a speaking career. I knew nothing. And it was when I finally connected with people at the Speakers Association, you know, my fellow speakers in Michigan at the time, um, that I started making some significant progress. And so, and they weren't necessarily quote unquote experts in the world but in terms of where I was from a knowledge standpoint, they were definitely ahead of me. And so sometimes it's not just listening to the experts of the world, like Justo and Andrew with Kilimanjaro, but listening to people who are just a little farther ahead of you and saying, okay, cool, how can I use that? How can I ask those questions to get that data? Yeah, and there's an interesting corollary to this, uh, which, as you were saying, has popped into my head because, and I'm sure you've run into this as well in your training and working with people. You know, one of the things in business um, that we both are proponents of, of course, is is really good formal training for people how to do the job. And one of the challenges I see with my coaching clients sometimes is they're like, "Well, I'm not really, I'm not an expert at this. I can't, you know." How am I supposed to teach somebody else? And 
the corollary here is that you don't need to be an expert per se. You just need to know more than your students. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where you got to, you know what you don't know once you get to a certain knowledge level, but trusting that knowledge you do have and being able to impart it to people who don't have that knowledge yet is very helpful. Yeah. And I mean, certainly what I found is that a lot of times I'll learn more as a teacher than I ever did as a student because people look at things differently than I do and either share a perspective that I hadn't uh, conceived of before, which is great. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And that just adds my knowledge base or ask a question from a perspective that I didn't have that I then have to go research or sometimes you just process it. You go, oh, when they ask it that way and then you put what I I remember when I was. engineering student and we had to do a project undergrad so this is not you know like a doctoral dissertation but you have a project you have to present to the school of engineering and then you you present it in front of everybody and the professors do like a mini sort of like a doctoral you know um what they call when you uh um defending your your dissertation and i mean it's nothing nothing quite that extensive i imagine not being a phd i don't really know what that's like but at any rate so i'm on stage and i designed a, um, a shock tube, which is a way of creating a supersonic uh, airflow in a really quick second. And, and we was talking about the temperature and all the things that, that, that change on once it's done. And, and, and the professor asked me a question. I remember the exact question, but it was something like, where's that energy for that extra heat buildup come from? And it was something I had never considered. And because I asked the question, gave it some thought, and then I gave an answer, which is, well, this area back here is going to be colder, right? Because energy can either be created nor destroyed, so it has to come from somewhere. So you actually have a cold front here and a warm, warm, warm air here, and that's where the energy comes from, which was the right answer. The question is what got me to the right answer. And sometimes when students ask you a question that you hadn't thought about, it makes you go, I never thought about that. And then something clicks, and you answer the question, and you know the answer is right. And your knowledge just grew, but trust yourself, mm. trust, trust your expertise. So trust, trust the experts and trust your own expertise, depending on which role you're in. Yeah. And, and being willing also to say, you know what? I had never thought about that. I don't know. Let me go find out. And then sharing that knowledge as well and becoming more of an expert by being open to the fact that maybe you don't know. Yeah. And that is true too, right? There, Cause there, and you need to be able to discern, am I making this crap up? Right. Or did a piece of just fall into place in a puzzle and I actually got the picture. Right. Yeah. And, and so there, there's a difference between the two. I'm not suggesting you BS your way out of something. In fact, if 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 you want to be known as somebody who can't persuade anybody, just BS all the time. We all know that person. Right. They're all oh, they're full of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Every word yeah. out of their mouth. Right. They're, they're a know-it-all. They're, they're almost always know-it-alls. Yeah. And when you do the research, they don't know much. Um, You know, another way that this comes back to leadership and persuasion, I remember when I started my job at TSA, which was a gym chain um, up in the Northeast of the United States uh, and Mid-Atlantic, I had, I was going into a role where I had nine directors that worked for me who had been in the role, obviously longer than I have, and some of them for 20 years. And for the first month, 
I asked more questions than I did directives because I knew in that moment they were more of an expert than I was. And even by the time I left there, they were more of an expert on their region, on their clubs, on their managers, on their members, on their instructors than I ever would be at the you know 13,000 foot level. So this is another place where we need to trust the people on our teams and the experts in their line of business by asking them questions and by listening to their input. Um, it's a really important piece as leaders going back to don't, not knowing everything, but there may be people who we can call on to ask those questions to. And that's a lot, it's a great leadership quality because it's really empowering to everybody on your team. Well, I mean, we've heard this a million times from from phenomenal leaders. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room, right? Now, you get the Steve Job types who who maybe think they are, but I I even think with Steve Jobs, he recognized that you know where his ex his expertise was the visionary, right? The seeing things that people can't see, and he relied on the technical expertise of everybody else. Right. He never he never told them how to do their job, but he was able he was really strong at eliciting or soliciting or both um, input from them, gaining their getting their expertise and then synthesizing that his genius was synthesizing that into something that nobody else could conceive of. And, and you know, Apple, of course, is what it is today, not in large part, purely because of that. You know? um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, your story resonated with me when I took over at the moving company. I knew. I want to say nothing about moving because I had been a customer. So I knew what my personal moving experience was before. <laughs> right. Yeah. Both, both, you know, both in the military as a civilian, both with friends and also with professional movers. I had used this particular company uh, uh, twice before. So I knew what that experience was like, but I didn't know how to execute a move, nor did I need to. My expertise, your expertise as a manager was how to, get the information you needed, make good decisions based on input from the experts, right? And yes, I absolutely had to trust them because I knew nothing, literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing goes as we talk about persuasion, especially on the customer side, same thing goes. Our customers are the expert in their business. We may be the expert on our exact product, on, on you know how to execute that, but they know their business. And so making sure that we are allowing for that expertise as well will help them listen to us better when the time comes. Um, you know, they say that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You got to listen to other people in order for them to listen to you. And by treating your customers as the expert in their own business, they're much more likely to come to you and listen to you when and and go along with what you're asking when you have given them that respect and that empowerment. Well, it's funny because as you say that, I'm thinking back on some old school sales techniques, you know, which one of which is the trial close. So the theory is if you get somebody to say a lot of small yeses, then they're predisposed to say the big yes. So during your presentation, you're asking, can you see how that can help you and things like that? And it's always been presented as a technique to get them to say yes to the close. And while it is that, and it is also if you're done right, and this is where the purity of heart comes in, where your energy precedes outcome, right? What's your intention from saying? If you're actually saying that to really just test, does this work for you? 
Am I on the right track? Not just to get them to say yes, you do want to hear them say yes, because that, that does mean you're going to get closer to the close, but not as a manipulative thing, but to say, okay, because if I'm not on the right track, I either have to find the right product, reconfigure the product I have, or bow out gracefully and say, look, I might not be the right one for you, right? Mm -hmm. So come from it from that place. Trust them to be the expert on making the right decision for them. I used to tell people all the time, look, my job is simply to educate you. I know if I educate you and I have the right product, 90% of the time, you're going to end up doing business with me. And if you chose to do business with somebody else, and I know you've been completely informed and we've I've done a good job, I don't feel bad because you, you made the decision that's right for you and I'm okay with that. I used to say that to, to, to prospects all the time. You know, what, what would break my heart, and I would say this as well, is that if I did such a bad job that you make a bad decision, and I know it's a bad decision, of course, uh, there's nothing I can do about that, then I failed you. Right. And how powerful is that? Right. You think about that. And, and again, not as a manipulative technique, but as it's a sincere one. And I was sincere. And that goes back to trusting your customer as the expert in their business, saying, here's what I have, here's what it does, here's what it can do. You and we talked about this last week too. You've got to make that decision based on the fact that you're the expert in your business. And maybe my stuff is not the right decision yeah and you know it's funny because even to this day in speaking that that's kind of my approach look i want to learn mm -hmm. i need you to trust me enough to tell me what your audience is looking for what are the challenges they have how do you think based on the literature you've seen something made you say i want to talk to to dave what is it that attracted you and how do you see this helping and i i just had this conversation it was a dinner talk. I ended up not doing it and it was fine. And I can't remember their exact answer, but I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm a good fit. That's really not my area of expertise. You know, mm -hmm. here's how I would mold what I do into what you're describing. But you tell me, is this really the right thing for you? Because there's nothing worse than being on the wrong stage. In mm -hmm. front of the wrong Totally. Totally. And, you know, this is something as I was building my business and building my brand, you know, you all have probably seen my picture. I've got bright red hair. It sticks up. I'm a little spunky. I'm a little irreverent. And that's how I am on stage. And there are some audiences who won't appreciate that. And I don't want to be up in front of them any more than they want me up in front. So I want my customers to know what they're getting. Like I used to dumb it down for my proposals and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, let them know what they're going to get because they may not want that. You know, if I'm looking for SpaghettiOs, I do not want to go to a nice Italian restaurant. That's that's a strange comparison. I am not SpaghettiOs, by the way. No, I thought I'm you were the a nice, nice Italian, Italian restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> well seasoned. Um, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you're not sweet enough for SpaghettiOs. Let's just be honest. Um, oh, go ahead. The ones with the meatballs are really good, though. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I no, I won't go down the the raviolis, the little mini raviolis, the chef Brady raviolis and the can. Those were like my favorite. We used to call them darts because they had all commercial about darts. We loved them as kids. You don't even have to heat those up. You can just eat them right out of the can. But uh, that's I frequently one. have. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Although it's been decades. I just had a conversation. It was a, um, a, a medical group management association. Decision hasn't been made yet, by the way. But my my point to them is, say, look, I'm a military guy. I'm blunt, direct. That's that's who I am. I don't know if I'm the right fit for you. You have to make that decision, right? 
I'm not offensive, right? I don't curse or do anything like that on stage, but that's who I am. So when I was talking to a meeting planner, I'm like, you know, I please make sure that they're aware. That's that's what they're getting. Because a little concerned that, and I could be dead wrong. I don't know them. But my my concern is, you know, they may be a little more softer, right? They're, they're caregivers. They may be a little more softer. Or they may like that because, you know, some doctors can be that way. I don't know. I just want them to know what they're getting. And as, and as we think about persuasion and again, trusting the expert, it's making sure we're letting, giving the information that we need to. So the experts on what they're looking for can make that informed decision. Yeah, is exactly right. And even if you don't get that particular deal or ever land that particular customer, because they're a bad fit, they will speak well of you. And they may know somebody who they go, oh, because I have clients who do that. And, and you know, oh, this guy would love you, right? The people who want directness, you know, not get not rude. Well, you guys hear me. I'm not rude, right? But I'm kind of blunt, kind of direct. That's just who I am. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, that's what I appreciate. And that's what I give. I love it. I love it. And and there's and that's an important piece of being an expert in your own business too. And it's that self-awareness of who am I? Who are we? What's our product? What do we deliver so that you can be that expert on that piece as people are trying to decide whether you're the right direction to go? Yeah. And we won't go down this rabbit hole, but of course that means folks, you got to know yourself. You got to be an expert on you, right? The, the Anne, as she described it, who was dumbing things down, although she was an expert on her, was also a little dishonest at that time, right? That's really a form of dishonesty. And she eventually, probably fairly quickly, I would guess, realized this ain't working. I'm a lot more fun when I let my hair stick up. <laughs> yeah, you let your hair down by letting it stick up. Right, <laughs> exactly. No, I never thought of that. You're absolutely right. This yeah. is how I let my hair down. You are looking a little long. I think you need to shave those sides. A little I'm bit. growing it up, Dave. I'm growing it out. I'm going to get that cool, like, Viking warrior braid thing going down the middle of my head. I don't think your beard is going to be able to, Oh, sorry. Um, hey, girl Viking. Girl Viking. Shield. Uh, no, not a shield maiden. A spear maiden. Sure. Yeah. Well, you're too, you're too pointy for just a shield maiden. You're a spear maiden. You're a sword maiden. You're I am a spear warrior lady. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> well, folks, I think we've done, uh, I think, I think we're done with the Kelly stories. So I think that, I think that we hit the expert on a lot of different angles though, as, as you're thinking about persuasion in your business and who's the expert on what, um, I think, I think we hit it pretty well. I think so too. So folks, we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. <laughs> <laughs>